Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Longest Shortest Time is brought to you by Invite. Your genes can tell you if you're 12% French or 6% Italian. They can also tell you a lot about your future health. When you take an Invite genetic test, they search for meaningful health information, like whether you're at an increased risk for inherited cancer or heart disease. Based on your results, you may be able to take steps to potentially lower that risk. Learn more by visiting Invite.com. That's I-N-V-I-T-A-E.com. A year ago, I was a guest on a live call-in show. Welcome, I'm Holly Kernan, and this is Your Call. That day on Your Call, Holly was discussing choices in childbirth. Holly gave birth in 1999, and like me, she wanted to do it naturally. And then the actual day comes, and it is nothing like I've imagined or planned for. It seems like every device in the hospital is attached to me, and I am being pumped full of drugs. I am throwing up purple Kool-Aid and begging for an epidural. Half a day later, thanks to a cesarean, I gratefully meet a healthy baby girl. And yet, I feel like I've failed somehow, like I wasn't strong enough to resist the painkillers, like I copped out and had a cesarean. That feeling of failure is so familiar to me. It's something I've talked about a lot on this podcast. And if you don't know my story, um, basically, I I wanted a natural childbirth, but wound up with a series of interventions, um, an IV drip, Pitocin, an epidural, um, and finally an episiotomy, which came apart and needed to be recut and stitched a week later. Um, If you want to hear more about it, I laid it all out in the last episode. So um, failure. It's something I felt really strongly after childbirth, and it's something that many of you have told me that you've felt too. There are a lot of complicated reasons why I feel like I failed, but one of them has to do with the way that the natural childbirth community talks about birth without drugs or surgery. They, They call it normal. They say that, yes, it can hurt, but with that pain can come ecstasy, you know, that that it can even be orgasmic. They tell us that with qualified care, most of us can have a physiologic birth because, um, they say, most of the time, birth is not an emergency. Birth is not even an illness. This is Maria Iarillo, another guest on your call the day I was on the show, She's been a home birth midwife for nearly three decades, and um, she said something I've heard a lot from the natural childbirth movement, that most of us would be able to do it naturally if we just took fear out of the equation. 
fear of pain, fear of, you know, complication, fear of some, um, you know, um, birth being this life-threatening act every single time someone has a baby. When Maria said that, I was sitting here on the phone in my office listening to her, waiting for my turn to speak and just absolutely seething, you know, just wanting to yell into the phone. But childbirth is an emergency. It is something to fear. You know, it, it can mess up your body. It can mess up your mind. And most of all, I just felt like she was not listening to me um, and to Holly, the host of the show, when we said that not being able to do it naturally made us feel like failures. You know, I just I just felt like she was skipping over that and um, talking about the benefits of home birth. Finally, um, I couldn't stand it any longer, and I jumped in. And uh, Holly, can I add something? Sure. So uh, this Maria, is Hillary, right? Yes, this is Hillary. Maria, I have a question for you because so I I totally respect what midwives do and um, love the, like all the rhetoric behind it, but I also feel like it sort of sets us up those of us who can't achieve a natural childbirth. I feel like it sets us up to um, feel like we failed if we can't achieve it. And I yeah. wonder, like, is there a way to kind of let people know, like, how, how can we make um, mothers feel like it's okay no matter what happens? Yeah. I think that's a really great, because both you and I, Hillary, had those kinds of experience mm-hmm. of, we just failed, we did yeah. this wrong. Yeah. You know, we have definitely heard, unfortunately, you know, this sort of elitism of the home birth community, you know, that you have to have the candlelight and the water birth and, you know, the beautiful baby with the Bear 1010. <laughs> Synthetic. Right, right. And of course, that's not going to happen for um, probably the majority of people. It's not going to happen um, like that. But my, my only thing is that is that we... Ha- I think that the home birth community had to fight so hard to establish our position in the world and to, you know, kind of passionately for me to fight for my um, clients that they're it engendered this sort of rigid um, sort of philosophy around it. Maria went on to talk about how home birth used to be illegal in California where she practices, but but now it's not. And so she feels like she doesn't have to be as defensive about her work. And that, um, she said, is making her feel like maybe the community could ease up a little bit on their message, which was an amazing thing to hear a home birth midwife say. But still, I I felt like she wasn't directly addressing me and Holly and people like us. You know, I I wanted her to tell me how the natural birth movement could change its message to include those of us who wanted natural births and came out traumatized. I realized, though, that it wasn't Maria I was mad at. It was the whole culture that Maria represents, you know, the whole natural birth industry. And maybe the person I was really mad at was the person who spawned the movement to begin with. Well, this is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. And today on our show... Ina Mae Gaskin... Ina Mae Gaskin is the midwife who wrote the manifesto that a generation of Marias have been following since the 70s. It's called um, Spiritual Midwifery. If you've ever wanted a natural childbirth, you have probably read that book or one of her others, Ina Mae's Guide to Childbirth. Ina Mae Gaskin, thank you so much for um, being a guest on The Longest Shortest Time. I'm glad I could be here. The big thing um, that I think Ina May's books have done for me and for a lot of women 
is to set us up to have unrealistic expectations of childbirth. I had a lot of questions for her about that. Um, so we'll start with a TED Talk she did last year called Reducing Fear of Birth in U.S. Culture. Um, here's a clip. And to women, I'm always saying, like, remember your sense of humor. Even just a bitty smile is going to help because that's going to make some neuroendorphin for you. Anything gets easier with a smile. I, I hear that, and I wonder, how could I have possibly smiled at it when I, when I was in so much pain? And I guess if you're feeling fear, how do, how do you make yourself not feel something? And, and also, why try to prevent it? Okay. Um, about fear. Um, fear in fear of labor and birth has, interestingly, I think, increased as the the cesarean rate and induction rates have risen. Uh, I don't think women are uh, used to be as afraid of birth or to the degree they are fear of pain as I remember people being in my generation uh, when the C-section rate was much lower. So people approach birth in a more fearful way, and this kind of makes it harder to give birth. So I'm not saying that um, it's a bad thing to be afraid, but it's a good thing to know how to deal with it when you feel it, because almost every woman, uh, including those that have a very short labor, uh, can can have some moments of stark terror, all right? Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that there can't be somebody there to calm the woman, and there are some good techniques for doing that. Mm hmm. So it's not like you're telling women, uh, like, if, you, if you're feeling fearful, then you're doing it wrong. Of course not. No, it's, it's to be expected. Okay, now this shocked me. I was not expecting someone so reasonable. She was not the my way or the highway type I was picturing. It turns out um, Ina May is no stranger to fear. Her books and, and all of her activism is actually motivated by her own fear. She gave birth in a different era when there weren't as many C-sections, but there were all kinds of other concerns, things that scared her. I was so afraid of having the kind of birth the doctor had prescribed for me, which was I was going to have to have forceps because it was my first baby. And I thought, that's crazy. And then the, he didn't explain the anesthesia. He didn't explain anything. So it was really quite scary when they came for me all masked up. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, think of women who want a labor free of medical interventions. Um, they, they think of those women as, as people who are trying to prove something, like, you know, trying to be a martyr and prove that they can take the pain. Um, and I've heard a lot of women say, well, you know, I wouldn't turn down pain medication at the dentist, so why would I when I'm having a baby? And I wonder, what, what is your response to that? Well, if, you, if you're having something done at the dentist, you know, you, well, we, know, we all know that can be really painful. <laughs> <laughs> One of those women that you may be talking about that doesn't want pain intervention is because she's afraid. She's afraid of the pain medication. That's the way I was. I was scared of that needle and what this might do to my back and would I stay paralyzed. So, you know, come at me with a needle and you're going to put it near my spine. I'm scared. Mm 
uh-huh. uh, come at me with a needle when you're taking out my wisdom teeth, thank you. <laughs> People can have different fears based upon who knows. Um, and now I think a lot of women um, have the fear of the, of the pain that is so fierce and and with some women it it is you know i i read your account of what mm. your your birth was like and you had your your occiput posterior baby that means my baby was facing up instead of down and you weren't as i understood it restricted in the position you you could take in labor right um but it really hurt that's right <laughs> okay and I don't know, did it hurt in between contractions too? It, um, no, you know what? It actually felt manageable until I was given Pitocin. And then it became unmanageable. And oh, that's well, when okay. I needed. That's when I needed the epidural was once I had gotten the Pitocin. And Hillary, that is such a familiar story. Pitocin, um, in case you don't know, is the drug form of oxytocin. And oxytocin is a hormone um, sometimes called the love hormone because we produce it during long hugs and during sex and especially when we're in labor. It's the hormone that helps labor progress um, as long as our adrenaline levels aren't too high, you know, as long as we're not too scared. Okay, even a woman who's been quite scared for a, a while can enter a calm state, and then she can go, oh, I get it. Now, let's say she's in a hospital, and the decision is made, now we need to you to go faster. We, we're going to give you some Pitocin because you're, you're not dilating fast enough. This is, happens pretty frequently. Now you've got a different pattern of labor where you don't get the breaks in between the contractions, where the pain goes away. Okay? Exactly. Yeah, that's what I had like 10 minute it's long contractions. Yes. And it's very 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 painful and you don't have those rest periods, neither does the baby by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the uterus kind of stays in a state of contraction even between so-called contractions. And it's a rare woman that can deal with that. Yeah, yeah. Right there, I'm saying, yeah, yeah, but I'm thinking, yes, she's opened the door for me. I was ready to tell her what I needed to tell her, but I was also bracing myself for her to get defensive. I mean, I was about to critique the message she's spent her entire life spreading all over the world. This is so interesting talking to you because, um, you know, I, I was incredibly scared, uh, you know, almost as soon as I got pregnant of, of childbirth. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I told my midwife that and she recommended that I, re- that I read your books. And they made me feel strong and empowered. And I, I went in and I did like, I, I believed I was strong and that I could do mm-hmm. it and, and I'd be able to do it without intervention. And then, and, you know, you read my, my story. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I ultimately did need all of I, I got all of these interventions, um, whether or not I needed them, I guess, is mm-hmm. <laughs> up for uh, debate. But um, but I got them. And and in the end, I I felt like I had failed. You know, I felt mm-hmm. like I felt like I, I thought I could do it. I believed I could do it and I couldn't. And it felt like, you know, doing it naturally felt like something to achieve. And looking mm-hmm. back at those mm-hmm. books, I've got to admit, I felt upset. I felt like mm-hmm. angry. There's anime doesn't have any anything to tell me about what happens when you can't do it. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I I got some of that kind of feedback, too, when I put out the first book. But um, 
sometimes I think about it. What if we just told people that it always really, really, really hurts? Hmm. Well, that wouldn't be very good <laughs> because <laughs> um, you get everybody so frightened that you know you get people that actively want cesareans, and this is not good because you you know too much surgery. It doesn't have good results, and just the same way that not enough surgery doesn't yield good results. On the other hand, if you lead women to think that any woman can have a birth without pain, uh, that's a big lie. Also, not true. Okay, so like that, I got to stop you for a second because that just that feels like an amazing thing to hear you say. Because <laughs> I, I just, I don't know. I, I was under this impression, and maybe it was the wrong impression that um, that that you believed that all women could have like a, a if not a pain free labor, then at least like a relaxed labor. No, I. I I probably need to write some more stuff <laughs> if I left you with that impression. No, not everybody has a great time. You know, sometimes it's really rugged. It's really hard. Like, what do you what do you have? What words do you have to offer people like me? First, one thing is that you're not alone if you experienced a lot of pain and, and, and you felt like you failed. I mean, there are so many women that feel that way. And maybe it was because of of expectations that were on the unrealistic side, that it would be possible because you did everything right, everything the book told you, and then you still had pain, and then you feel like you weren't correctly advised or, you know, you were misled somehow. And and then if you need to be, you know, uh, angry with me or, or upset with me that I didn't write it to include that, I'll I'll take that feedback because <laughs> I really wouldn't want to mislead anybody into thinking that I judge people about uh, how well they did. I don't think you judge in the book. It's just that you present it as such a, like an intoxicating uh, way of having a baby that if you don't achieve that, then it feels like there's nothing else. Okay. No, that's that's helpful, <laughs> what you just said, because uh, that you know that is so unnecessary. And uh, I know in in counseling some of the women that I've helped who did end up with a cesarean um, and experienced that sense of failure um, temporarily, that I was able to, in working with them to go no we pick it up here you don't judge yourself if you're if you're thinking that it was something you did wrong it it wasn't all i have to say here is wow i mean i've had a lot of people tell me i shouldn't feel like a failure over how childbirth went for me and when i've heard that i've always just kind of nodded but not felt much differently about it but somehow having Ina Mae Gaskin, the mother of all midwives, tell me this actually had a huge impact on me. And I think it's because I finally saw her not just as a public figure, but as a person with an actual life. You know, I, I got why when she was a hippie living on school buses, she was considered the best at calming down the other hippie moms, you know, when, when they were having babies on the school buses. 
And I got why she became the leader of the farm, you know, the midwifery center she runs on a commune in Tennessee. You know, um, here I was criticizing her and, and she was calming me down. And I think I realized um, Ina May's message is not about offering a prescription for every woman. It's about something I can relate to so deeply. It's about a legitimate sadness in her life that comes from things not going the way she wanted them to when she had her first baby, which is something that came up in another part of our interview. Can we talk about the golden hour? Let's do, yeah. The golden hour is what midwives call the hour immediately following the baby's birth. It happens to be easier for the baby and the mother to get the hang of breastfeeding if they are not separated during that hour. That's well demonstrated in just great quantities of research. And people who take care of any kind of livestock or any kind of mammals, people in zoos, they know that it's critical not to separate the mother and the newborns, or the mother probably won't mother the newborns if they're separated in that hour. And to some degree, to some degree, that that can be a factor in human behavior too. And I say to some degree because we have lots and lots and, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of women who were excellent mothers despite having been separated from their babies. Well, that's what I was going to ask you because, um, so my daughter was separated from me immediately. Like we, we met each other momentarily and she was rushed off to the NICU for mm -hmm. um, meconium aspiration. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I didn't get to have my golden hour. And that was something, you know, I had put, mm -hmm. you know, down as my, my birth wishes that, that mm -hmm. I wanted to have that. Um, and, I've heard people say, you know, that that how critical that hour is and that it can impact your relationship with your child for, forever. And I there are times when um, I'm having, you know, an intense conflict with my daughter. And I honestly will think, oh, it's because we didn't get our golden hour. You know? Nah, because nah. people that got their golden hour might have intense conflicts with their children, too. Yeah. And, you know, so, they, you know, I've heard people yeah. use your name that way and to say, like, you know, Ina Mae Gaskin says that this is um, this is a critical time and that you, you must have it. Um, and I just wonder, are people misunderstanding you? Yeah, I think that people do take things to extremes and, and that things that I would qualify maybe get quoted in a way that the qualification is quite gone. I do think that I was one of the people whose mothering was impacted by mm. early separation with my daughter. I didn't have confidence at all that I was up to taking care of the baby who had been kept from me through the whole five-day hospital stay, except for those few times when they bring her to me for breastfeeding. And, and you think it played out in your relationship throughout her life? Oh, absolutely. It did. It did with me. Now, I know a lot of women who aren't that way. Mm -hmm. So it's so hard to generalize about women, Hillary, because we're so all over the place. And and that's why it's so tricky to to, um, you know, talk about birth and these experiences. But it's so important that we do, because the more different kinds of stories we hear, um, we we get an idea more of what, you know, might help or not. Of all the things that Ina Mae Gaskin said to surprise me, this was maybe the biggest surprise. 
you know, that, that basically her mission and my mission are the same. You know, that, that she's not only interested in talking about one kind of childbirth or mothering experience, but in the amazing variety in those experiences, even the ones that are the complete opposite of the ones she talks about in her books. You know, we were talking about, um, you know, maybe there should be another chapter for your book. What what would that chapter look like? Like, what what is the next message from the natural childbirth movement that could help people like us who wanted wow. it your way? Wow. Well, um, that's really a good question, Hillary. And you're going to get, you know, it, it won't be a chapter to that book. It would probably <laughs> have to be a whole new one. But you're giving me all kinds of ideas. And I'm starting to think that this is really, really needed, you know, because I know a lot of women do go through it. Ina Mae Gaskin wants input from you, our listeners, on what you'd want her to include if she were to add another chapter to one of her books or, or write a new one entirely. If you wanted a natural childbirth and didn't get one, go to our website, longestshortesttime.com, and share your story in the comments section for this episode. Or tell Ina Mae what you think was missing from her books. She will be watching. We've also posted a video on our website of Ina May's TED Talk, which I talked about in this story, um, and a link to a documentary about her where you can watch a 10-pound baby being born out of an unmedicated mom. I wish that they'd shown me that video in my birth class instead of the one with the nervous husband constantly showing his wife a picture of their cat. Did, did anyone else see that one? Today's episode was brought to you with support by MailChimp, the people behind Tiny Letter. Tiny Letter, email for writing home about your tiny people. New mom Ashley says she'd write home about her four-month-old who recently rolled over for the first time and hated it. Poor baby startled herself so much she had to be nursed back to sleep. Support today also comes from diapers.com. Get 20% off your first order at diapers.com or any of their other sites where you can find pain relievers, ice packs, tux pads, everything you'll need to recover from childbirth, no matter how you did it, with the code LONGEST20. That's LONGEST20. Thanks today to Alex Bloomberg for editing. Thanks also to Peter Clowney, Paula Zuckman, Bill O'Neill, Ron Jagger, Blake Osborne, and Mary Wigmore. Our theme music is by The Batteries Duo. I'm Hilary Frank. Today's story was the second in our series on natural childbirth. We are spending all of April on that subject. The last episode in the series will air in two weeks at 3 a.m. And as always, if you have a story... Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Sorry of a surprising struggle in early parenthood that you'd like me to consider for this podcast go to LongestShortestTime.com and submit your story.
Longest Shortest Time is brought to you by TeenCounseling.com. TeenCounseling.com connects your 13 to 19-year-old with a licensed professional counselor right where they spend most of their time, on their smartphones. The process starts by completing a short questionnaire to help them understand your relationship with your teen and their specific needs. You'll then be matched with a skilled therapist in TeenCounseling.com's network of specialists who will be available to start communicating within 24 hours. You'll have the opportunity to review their credentials and directly communicate with the counselor to make sure it's a good fit. Then, once you approve, the counselor and your teen will begin communicating directly. Teen Counseling is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so it's easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's also more affordable than traditional counseling and financial aid's available. So visit teencounseling.com slash longshort and help your teen take charge of their mental health with help from an experienced professional. Listeners to The Longest Shortest Time can get 10% off their first month at teencounseling.com slash longshort. I'm standing outside Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. Inside, there are like a trillion objects, and I have to go in there and find 10. So we open a drawer here, and there's Indiana Jones's jacket and Indiana Jones's whip. What is this? Now Prince donated this guitar. <gasps> I'm Asif Manvi, and I am lost at the Smithsonian. Where do I begin? This place is obviously full of fascinating stuff. Fonzie's jacket, right. worn by Henry Winkler on Happy Days. There are 156 million objects in the Smithsonian's collections. Here are Muppets. These aren't just objects. They're pieces of America's self-identity. I'm looking at a, a robe with the name Muhammad Ali. Only 10 episodes, only 10 objects. That's pretty amazing. Lost of the Smithsonian is out now. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors.